From WAB News, you're listening to The Outlet, where campus meets community. Each week on The Outlet, we bring you stories from Southeast Ohio. This week on The Outlet, a bill would not allow businesses to require their employees to be vaccinated. If this comes to fruition, uh, we will see a resurgence of things like polio, measles, uh, whooping cough. Advocates say that the current way to approaching mental illness crises needs to be reformed. They're away from their family, they're away from their friends, and then their mental health would just spiral downwards. The number of patients that I got into physical altercations with because they were angry and would lash out. These stories more right here on The Outlet. Right now in the United States, businesses can require that employees show proof of vaccination for COVID-19 and otherwise. But it may not stay that way for long. Lexi Lepoff reports a new Ohio House bill aims to prevent such requirements. Many businesses are hiring as pandemic restrictions are lifted. And some, such as Bagel Street Deli in Athens, are requiring that employees have the COVID-19 vaccine. This has many people asking, is this even legal? In short, attorney Mark Fischel says yes. Right now, in both on the federal and local uh, state level, um, there are no prohibitions against employers requiring employees to actually be vaccinated as a condition of continuing to work for that particular employer. But there are also a few exceptions that attorney Federico Barrera explained. If they'd like, they can require employees to be vaccinated, so long as they provide those employees with uh, reasonable accommodations for any disability that they may have, or if they hold a sincerely held religious belief that prevents them from being vaccinated. Bagel Street Deli co-owner Megan Meyer said requiring COVID-19 vaccinations is in the best interest of her customers and the overall health of the Athens County community. However, a bill moving through the state legislature would prevent employers from making this decision. Barrera broke down what the bill would mean for business owners. It prohibits an employer from asking questions about vaccination status, from tracking vaccination status, and from requiring employees to be vaccinated. So it would prohibit employers from treating those employees differently because they've chosen not to be vaccinated. The bill has sparked large debate with hundreds of Ohioans testifying for and against it. Dr. Joe Gustato, who serves as the System Medical Director of Infectious Disease for Ohio Health, is strongly opposed to the bill. He notes that it would not only prohibit employers from acquiring COVID-19 vaccines, but any vaccine. If this comes to fruition, uh, we will see a resurgence of things like polio, measles, uh, whooping cough, Uh, And that would be catastrophic for all Ohioans, especially those with weakened immune systems. Gustavo says he feels that people do not realize the seriousness of this because we have not seen these diseases in many years. To not have vaccines would take us back to some extent to the 1850s with many types of diseases and infections that we don't see anymore. On the opposite side of the argument are those who feel it is unethical to not give people the choice to get a vaccine. Physician nutrition specialist Dr. Daniel Weiss supports the bill because he says he feels that the current method of encouraging COVID-19 vaccination is coercive. The unethical part is to just say, uh, you have to do this 
we're going to pay your lot. Or if you don't do this, you can't travel, you can't have a job. You know, that's coercive. In addition to the coercion, Weiss says he believes it's important for people to know all of the facts in order to make an informed decision on the vaccines themselves. People have to know the pros and cons, risks and benefits with full disclosure. The bill had its fifth hearing before the House Health Committee on Tuesday. The office of Governor Mike DeWine confirmed that he opposes the bill. In Athens, I'm Lexi Lapoff for The Outlet. The Ohio Senate had already passed a bill that said Ohioans could not be forced by employers or schools to take COVID-19 vaccinations. The Ohio House on Thursday added an amendment that extended the bill to include any vaccination that didn't yet have full FDA approval, like COVID-19. Half of Simpson Avenue has been closed for months due to construction, and some businesses along the street are struggling. Reporter Teo Peck Suzuki explains reduced traffic flow and disruptions have created huge costs and drastically reduced revenue for some business owners. The $7 million project to renovate Stimson Avenue has long been overdue. The road was first built in the late 60s and is costly to maintain. It also lacks access for people with disabilities, which the new work will address. However, the project has had serious consequences for businesses on Stimson. Kevin and Carrie Tidd, owners of the pharmacy, say the road work has cut their business in half. Uh, you, know, you know, I hate to think of the worst, but is getting really hard to, to hold on, you know, to maintain. The problem goes beyond a drop in customers. Jamie Sparhawk with Best of Athens Rentals claims that vibrations from the work have created cracks in the walls of their buildings and caused lights to fall from the ceiling. And that's not all. The water has fountains out of the toilet from whatever they're, the, whatever they're doing with the sewer lines or the water lines. Like, we just talk about, like, what if one of us were sitting on the toilet when that happened? You know, like. The city has met once with business owners to discuss the road work. After that meeting, it started sending weekly updates to businesses. But gaps persist, and some feel they need more support. So we're trying to help each other out, but, you know, this is, uh, it's really starting to look glum. But Mayor Steve Patterson asserts that the project is still worthwhile. Uh, certainly it concerns me with what's going on on Stimson Avenue right now as well. Uh, but I believe that once the street is completely opened again, it'll have the, the same flow, if not more, in terms of traffic. Sandy Fan, owner of the restaurant China Fortune, has also seen her customers drop off. But she says she's been managing thus far. So far, we can handle that. Or every problem, we can do it. Business owners agree that the project, when complete, will be a big improvement. But that's cold comfort to those who are struggling now. Reporting for the outlet, I'm Teo Peck Suzuki. People in Athens gathered Saturday to celebrate Juneteenth, marking the day that enslaved people in Galveston, Texas, were emancipated over two years after the Emancipation Proclamation. WUB reporter Taylor Burnett has more on the story. Dr. T. Ford Ahmed said this is the first time she has been part of such a public celebration of this important milestone in black history. She is the communications coordinator for the Mount Zion Baptist Church Preservation Society, and helped organize one of the key events for this year's Juneteenth celebration, which took place just outside the church. I have never, uh, outside of my small community uh, of, uh, of black and indigenous people, celebrated Juneteenth. Uh, and it's usually done with supper or, 
very family oriented. But now to have it move past family, to embrace extended family, to embrace community family, to embrace so many people, it's, it's the best. President Joe Biden declared Juneteenth the national holiday last Thursday, though the celebrations in Athens were planned long before. Ohio University held its first Juneteenth celebration with a festival in the late afternoon, after people gathered at Mount Zion Baptist Church for the unveiling of a free little library, exclusively featuring works authored by black indigenous people of color. The little library was gifted by the Athens Anti-Racist Action Group, and the event was put on in conjunction with the Mount Zion Baptist Church Preservation Society, which is working toward the preservation of the historic black church in Athens while hoping to create a cultural space. Ada Woodson-Adams, the president of Mount Zion Baptist Church Preservation Society, and Steve Patterson, the mayor of Athens, placed the first two books in the library. Patterson placed a copy of Anti-Racist Baby by Ibram X. Kendi, and Adams placed a copy of The Other Side by Jacqueline Woodson. Adams says she believes the library can have a big influence on Athens. Because being black in America is an emotional roller coaster ride every day. And so people who are going to pick up these books from the library are going to hear those stories. Just like the book here, The Other Side. And when you have books like this talking about how people of different ethnic groups can come together and find a commonality, that's what this library will bring to Athens and Athens County. The event also featured a bookmark-making craft for the children and pop-pop popsicles for everybody in attendance. For many, the holiday held a different significance after the declaration of Juneteenth as a national holiday. I think it's a wonderful step in the right direction to honor those of us who had been enslaved and one now free and for the uh, United States of America to recognize that this is a momentous time in American history, not just in black history, but also in American history. It's saying that we are correcting, starting to correct some injustices done in the past. Across town on the south side of the Ohio University Athens campus, people gathered at the Juneteenth Festival for food, fun, and remembrance. Students, faculty, staff, and Athens residents danced together, laughed together, and ate together while they celebrated the day. Although the day was full of celebrations, many had hopes that it would serve as a step toward recognition of the issues black Americans face today, as well as a step towards fixing them. Because it's, we've had so many uh, steps that have moved us forward to becoming a one nation, one people. And then there's a backslide, as they say, in the religious community. And then you move a little forward, and then there's another backslide. So I'm hoping that in the, we won't keep backsliding, and that at some, t at some point, people will kind of get it, that we're just one people on this earth. Della will be back right after a short intermission. If you are looking for a way to pass the time on your way to work, WUB-FM broadcasts local, regional, and national news as well as plenty of genres of music 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. WOUB.org slash now has the daily schedule. Thanks.
A new way to handle an emergency mental health crisis is coming soon to Athens. Nick Veland has more on this new protocol. The need for a new procedure comes because of flaws with the current approach to handling emergencies involving mental health. Of the 3,000 mental health emergencies in 2019, only 25% were severe enough to require a trip to the emergency room. But under the existing protocol, everyone was taken to the emergency room for additional screening. City Council member Ben Ziff, who used to be a paramedic in Columbus and Zanesville, says that hospitalizations degrade a patient's mental health instead of helping. They're away from their family, they're away from their friends, and then their mental health would just spiral downwards. The number of patients that I got into physical altercations with because they were angry and would lash out, which, I mean, I never blamed them for that. I mean, I'm, I'm some person here sticking you with a needle, taking your blood, and I'm trying to be as nice as I possibly can and make jokes, and, but they're alone in a cold room, and they're having a really, really bad day. And anything that might have been, it's gone. It's all just downhill from here. The new emergency response initiative will have a different protocol. Diane Pfaff, executive director of the 317 board, explains how the new model will operate alongside Hopewell Health Center to serve mental health emergencies in a better way. It's a mental health clinician with a paramedic. Um, it's a team that can go um, out to the scene where a crisis might be occurring or even to do outreach to um, people who are identified in the community and that there's a concern and to engage with them and um, see what their needs are and um, meet them right on the spot. Ben Ziff believes that this approach to helping people on the scene in a more personal way will eliminate a lot of unnecessary hospitalizations. Prevents these gross almost like an overdiagnosis sort of situation. It's, it's way too much resources being devoted to something that could be handled on a way smaller scale. So if we can prevent that from happening to one person, I'm happy. Diane Pfaff said that the staff has been hired and are beginning to train and she expects the new mental health protocol to roll out later this summer. Reporting for The Outlet, I'm Nick Veland. On June 9th, an Ohio House committee held its second hearing on the High School Education Recovery Act. If passed, it would provide students another opportunity to recover from pandemic-related setbacks. Dylan Tyson reports there's more to the bill than meets the eye. You would be hard-pressed to find anyone who wasn't impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. Local high schools are no exception. Many have already adapted, strengthening their summer school and online education programs. Athens High School principal Chad Springer has been a part of those efforts. Our learning loss is large, no different than any other school district. We responded to the pandemic um, in a way that befitted Athens High School. Now, a bipartisan bill moving through the Ohio House could simplify the academic recovery process by establishing the supplemental school year program. It would allow students at all public high schools to retake classes that they completed during last school year, and those schools would be required to replace students' old transcripts with their new grades. The program could provide a significant GPA boost to all high school students enrolled last year, including those who have already graduated. Springer says for schools like Athens, adapting credit recovery to the supplemental school year program would be simple. You know, we're already doing credit recovery. We would just replace the grade from the prior year. Yet the bill is raising several questions among school administrators. Here's a scenario. Let's say several students want to repeat most of their recent classes, and therefore they have to delay their graduation. 
How are schools expected to maintain building capacity or staff and scholarship availability? And what about athletics for fifth-year students? Barbara Shaner, advocacy specialist for the Ohio Association of Secondary School Administrators, brought these concerns to light at the latest committee hearing. It creates a few uh, what we think is maybe unintended consequences for either other students or the districts themselves. In her testimony, Shaner also raised concerns regarding the availability of scholarships and other financial resources. Still, a lot of the power is left in the district's hands. They have the final say on who can retake a class and what they can retake. For example, school boards can regulate how many classes a student could repeat, whether a student had to have failed a class to be eligible, or if enrollment can affect a student's graduation date. But which classes should be offered? Will students who were truant last year be eligible? The questions facing administrators like Springer are numerous. If this bill does pass, you'll have the area superintendents meet to have a discussion and determine how does this apply in as a greater Athens area, meaning Athens County. Yet Shaner knows that this power would raise further challenges from outside sources. Our organization always favors uh, discretion at the local level to make the best decisions possible, but we think that you know, there's going to be pressure from a range of interests on those decisions that they would be making. And most notably, that concern exists in regard to athletics due to a special provision within the bill. If a student did not graduate on time, they would be allowed to play for one additional year. And there are mixed feelings about that. Would schools urge their star athletes to stick around for an extra year? Or would that inhibit fair access to playing time and valuable scholarships for current students? Shaner, for one, reassures that most school districts have had no shortage of athletic opportunities. They might have been pushed out to a different time or maybe shortened, but there were athletics that occurred. So in most cases, it's not as if the students actually missed out on being able to play sports. If the bill does pass, students will have 30 days to petition their school districts for a spot in the program. Yet the start of next school year is only a couple months away. Schools are already creating master schedules, considering employment and implementing resources. So if there is going to be an impact on next year, uh, that really would need to be decided pretty quickly. Although Shaner feels the committee has addressed her and her colleagues' concerns, she believes there are better alternatives available to bring students up to speed. We just kind of feel that some of this is really unnecessary and there are already options there for kids. The former Pioneer Elementary School overlooks the city of Zanesville, though it now hosts a different kind of student. WUB reporter Taylor Burnett returns with this story. The Pioneer School Community Arts Center houses an array of artists perpetually honing their craft, from ceramics to painting to music and more. Wayne Savage, the center's caretaker and curator of its featured exhibitions, is also an artist himself. The premise is the building lends itself to the creativity. We, we have wheels and we have kilns and we have easels and we, we have most anything you need to create art. Artists can rent a range of spaces for both living and working, from basement art studios to studio apartments. The front of the building faces the cityscape of Zanesville, while the back faces a serene view of nature. In the basement is a vintage space resembling the former elementary school for lounging and studio space. On the first floor is a bright, sunshine-filled gallery, while the second floor features the living and workspaces for the artists and residents. Savage himself lives in an apartment on the first floor, 
just off of the gallery. The work-life balance can be challenging, Savage said, having work, quite literally, outside his front door. For some, like Brian Smith, a musician and artist who lives in the building, having work in his apartment just down the hall from each other serves as an added convenience. Smith often dreamed of living and recording music in the old school after it was turned into an arts center. I love this building. I love this, where it's at, positioned up above the school. The view is so amazing. It's, it's a, it's worth part of your rent here. Other artists in the building include Christopher Cassidy, who lives with his five-year-old son, Etzel. The two have a piece depicting an owl made from dried paint and the gallery together, representing the time they have spent as father and son. For Cassidy, living at the center isn't just about his own development as an artist. To have the ability as a young person to work out that imagination and meet different people, perspectives here at the center, it's, it's beautiful, it's a very wonderful privilege. Looking toward the future, Savage said he hopes to create more art classes for people in Zanesville to come and create. Artists, he said, are a community apart from the general public who can benefit from having their own space. But we're, we're a select group that loves to be creative and think outside the box and, and do fun things and, and get together and, and put on great shows. And, you know, uh, it's an honor to be part of that. That's all we have for you this week. Thanks for joining us. The outlet is produced each week by me, Michael Wyrick. We're edited by Aaron Payne and David Forster. Adam Rich is our technical assistant, and our theme music is performed by Ryan Gabos. Subscribe to the outlet on SoundCloud or find us online at wob.org. You can also find us on Twitter at outlet underscore wob and Instagram at wob underscore outlet. We'll be back next week with more stories from Southeast Ohio. Later.